Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you online watching, listening, good morning to you too. We are in the book of Acts this morning. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Acts, it comes right after the gospel according to John. If you're unfamiliar with the gospel according to... (laughs) We will take verses 1 through 3. And if you have your Bibles, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Please be seated. This is an introduction to the book of Acts. It's going to be a long ride and hopefully an exciting one. The title for this morning's message is The First Christians. It's the title for the series through Acts. I thought of all sorts of exciting titles, trailblazers, you know, (laughs) those on fire for God. Oh, we could go a lot of places. You would not be wrong, but I felt led in the end to just concentrate on the simple points of the truth because they are powerful all by themselves. Likely, when this document was penned, there was no title. The earlier manuscripts suggest that it's just Acts, the Acts, A-C-T-S, not (laughs) A-X or A-X-E. The Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, meaning the actions the actions that the apostles engaged in after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. That word apostles, plural that is, in uh, the New Testament occurs more in this book of Acts than all the other New Testament books put together. And it is mainly about Peter and Paul. Of course, it has others too, but they are the focus of what the Holy Spirit was doing through the apostles. Luke, he does a great job balancing Peter and Paul so as not to create a spirit of competition between the two servants. Of the 18 speeches that are in this book, we have one by Stephen, James, Gamaliel, and Tertullius. Each of them have one speech The remaining 14 are divided equally between Peter and Paul, both having seven addresses. Both Peter and Paul did healings. Both were miraculously delivered from jail after being arrested. Uh, Both were uh, treated as gods by the pagans. Of course, they pushed back on that. Uh, Both gave bold witnesses to the authorities And both of them confronted uh, false prophets. And so again, Luke presenting this gospel was saying, Peter was certainly a man of God. So was Paul. 
was, that hounded Paul throughout his ministry. There were those that would just take cheap shots. You're not really an apostle. You're not one of the twelve. You're self-appointed. And, and he, he had to deal with that. And Luke helps him out by demonstrating that he is very much an apostle of Jesus Christ. One handpicked by Jesus Christ. And so again, Acts tells us what happened immediately after Jesus ascends to heaven. In the first verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we read, Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And then verse 2, After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then verse 8, And you shall be witnesses to me. Uh, that is a great overview of what's going to take place in this record that we have. Uh, we don't, if, if there were... Uh, the ability to have put this on film, uh, it would be amazing. We could watch it, but we don't have that option. We read it, and that's, it is an account of these things that really took place, uh, showing us how the first Christians conducted themselves before and after Pentecost. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Pentecost, it was that day that the church was truly born. Christianity was in place the church is born in the, power, born in the power of the Holy Spirit and will remain until he who restrains is removed out of the way. Then Antichrist comes on the picture and the church is not here. We'll come back with Christ. Uh, then we have tribulation converts who are martyred for their faith. Well, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. A very simple uh, ending to the Gospel of Matthew with so much power in that. We shouldn't lose sight of those words that Christ said to those men on that day, go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are reasons why we believe in a triune God. And then teaching them to observe, teaching them to do it, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And that's what this Acts of the Apostle, Acts of the Holy, Spirit's, uh, Holy Spirit, singular, <laughs> is all about. It, uh, this book was once the template for the Calvary Chapel movement. There have been wanderings from it. And may we never wander from it. May this always be where we look to see how we conduct ourselves as an assembly and as individual believers. Not ruling out the rest of the scripture, of course. That would be uh, devilish including the rest of the scripture. That's what makes the book of Acts flow. It doesn't go forward without the rest of the Bible. It, it takes it all in, and it shows us to Christians believing and practicing as best they can. This book improves the understanding of our assignment, our service to Christ, especially as an assembly, but again, not limited to an assembly. The Gospels teach us about God. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And you look at the life of Christ, you learn about God. The Gospels teach us about our Savior and ourselves. The epistles, the letters that are written, they address our struggles as Christians in this fallen world. 
and our flesh in the church as believers. Uh, all of the letters are written to put out fires. Uh, unfortunately, that's what it takes to move the church forward, addressing the problems in the strength of the Spirit based on Scripture. From the revelation of Jesus Christ, we learn God's final plan for this world. Uh, plans, plural. But then this book, the Acts of the Apostles, it demonstrates not only our mission, but our methods. And the pattern is for us to take advantage of. The recorded birth of Christianity and the blood-bought church is seen here in action. Imagine, after reading the Gospels, the resurrection of Christ, imagine coming to the end of the Gospel of John and going right into the letter of Romans or right into the revelation of Jesus Christ. You'd be perplexed. You'd be very perplexed. Uh, nothing would tie together the birth of the church and the work that took place in its beginnings would, would just be foreign. And you, you would just be at a loss. And you wouldn't, how would you appreciate it? Well, there are many Christians that skim over this book or skip it altogether. And it is uh, not to the benefit of that individual or that assembly. And from the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, right into the letters of the apostles would be a strange leap, an unnecessary thing. And the Holy Spirit said, uh, let me prepare you for those letters and tell you how we got some of these churches and what was going on in the lives of those men who wrote those letters and the lives of those men and women who received those letters. Much of Christendom, in dread of fanaticism, has turned away from this book. Well, because some have taken the sections of this book and abused them. And you, you, I know for myself, before I became a Christian, I'd look at wacko Christians and say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, keep it. Uh, they did more damage to their witness and testimony of truth by their hysteria and unfounded behavior, uh, poor doctrine, if any at all, uh, just by, you know, sort of this emotional rush that they felt they had license to exercise from reading certain passages, passages of this book of Acts and other sections. And they're wrong. As A.W. Tozer said, the Holy Spirit is not the cause of insanity, but the cure. And there are just, uh, you know, in the days when the old King James was dominant, uh, Christians would sort of, some Christians or professed Christians, would sort of justify their wacky behavior. Well, God, we're a peculiar people. No, that's not what it means. You're not an oddball people. You're not a weirdo church. Well, there are weirdo churches out there. That's their business. In my position, this is my business. And uh, you don't think that you're going to just, you know, make all of these great converts to Christianity by acting like a lunatic and blaming it on the Holy Ghost. So anyhow, maybe, have you all ever met any of these Christians? I mean, I've had my share. Uh, anyhow, much of Christianity, because of that type of fanaticism, has turned away from this book, unfortunately. And in doing so, they've missed great principles of our service to Christ, of Christianity, the church. 
And this, in many circles, is the most misunderstood New Testament book of all. And it should not be. There are those that would rather read Revelation than come to the book of Acts. That's backwards. Uh, we appreciate the revelation of Jesus Christ in the seven churches because of the book of Acts. You get more out of it. Let's not leave this a buried treasure. I'll give you some examples of just two lessons that are right on the surface from this book. Recruiting people to join the church. The first Christians did no such thing, and they were fruitful. They did not recruit anyone. They witnessed Jesus Christ. They let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They left it with God. They trusted God. Because if you put it together in your own strength, you've got to maintain it in your own strength. Look at Islam. Islam is, uh, took over the world with the sword. And they maintained their religion with the sword through violence. We're not that way. It's truth. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not truth without the Holy Spirit. It is the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses of all that Jesus began, both to do and to teach. And uh, this, of course, with the dunamis, the dynamite of God the Holy Spirit. The early church did not seek approval from the government, from the culture, from media, from false religions. It proclaimed, it made, it made a proclamation. This is truth. And it was a take it or leave it deal. And it is to this very day. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. He's not looking for you to embellish it, to take away from it. This is it. You take it or you get left behind. Uh, Acts chapter 5. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Incidentally, apostles, I mentioned showing up uh, 30 times of the 59 times in the New Testament, in the plural. In the book of Acts, it is only in the plural. It is not singular. And the idea is that these apostles, the, the, the 11 and then, of course, Matthias and Paul, uh, they were united. That's the, the, the position of the Holy Spirit that Luke was, was able to preserve for us. We... I mentioned to you we ought to obey God rather than men. Shallow false Christianity is not that way. Shallow Christianity is looking to the culture, uh, looking to the world. How should we behave? How you know? How can you? We what can we do so that you can accept us? So that you can like us? Uh, I'm not interested in getting the world to like me or the church. Uh, I'm interested in being used by Christ to bring the message. And let him do the rest. And that is quite liberating and it is very powerful. And it comes from watching the disciples of Christ, those first Christians that we have in the New Testament. Vance Habner, in 1974, he was in a, when he wrote, uh, oh, you know, the title of the book escapes me. I think it's The Shadow of Death or something to that. And it was, it was he, he wrote down about his, the loss of his beloved wife, Sarah. And uh, he just makes this comment in one of the chapters. He says, the new hilarious, this is when he was really feeling alone and, and just uh, trusting God. He says, the new hilarious brand of Christianity is only a better way to have a good time. 
Fun seems to be the objective, but wrestling with powers and principalities doesn't sound much like fun. I hope you younger Christians heard that. But just in case you did not, I'm going to reread it again because it is especially for you. It says again, Vance Habner, the new hilarious brand of Christianity is only a better way to have a good time. Fun seems to be the objective, but wrestling with powers and principalities doesn't sound like much fun. It's not. It's, it's, it's combat. It's a contest, a struggle for real souls and real lives. And it's going to hurt. And your heart's going to break if you are a Christian. And, and fighting over lost souls and the, the work that Satan does. But you're also going, your heart will also rejoice over the victories and the presence of God in your life. The author, Luke, known as the companion of Paul, the beloved physician. That, that, that Paul would call him a beloved physician must have mean that Luke, first off, had no hypodermics uh, to stick you with. I mean, he just was a beloved physician. He would just have philosophy of medicine but never hurt you. <laughs> I don't know about you. Every time you go to the doctor, they hurt you more. Uh, so anyway, uh, just a little humor there. Very little humor. Uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke wrote... The book of Acts, he wrote the gospel according to Luke. And the early Christians did not, there's not much to debate about that. When he wrote the book of Acts, he started out by telling everyone how much effort he put into looking into the facts that he was about to present, the interviews that he conducted. And he says, it seemed good to me also, Luke chapter 1, verse 3, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. You see, this letter uh, to this gospel of Luke was, was addressed to a man named Theophilus, and so is the book of Acts. Now, the name Theophilus means lover of God, and uh, there are variations to it. And some believe maybe it was sort of a code writing to just lover, Christians in general. But I, I don't take that position. I believe it was a, a, a man named Theophilus who was a part of Luke's life. And I'll, I'll come to this and back to it in very, very quickly. But this man, Luke, this physician, this medical doctor, Luke, far as we know, he never saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a convert after. Uh, he wasn't around when the early chapters of, of Acts were taking place. At least we have no evidence of that. We have evidence or the pointers that suggest uh, he was converted after. He wrote uh, this book of Acts about 30 years after Christ ascended to heaven. And it covers a span of about 32 years. We have about 32 years of history from Acts chapter 1 to Acts 28. Acts chapter 29 is us. The book of Acts doesn't end. The acts of the Holy Spirit and the actions of the believers are still going on. Uh, through the believers, uh, down through history. There's a nice parallel about that when you get to the seven churches in Revelation. These were troublesome times. 
because of the transition. That transition from Judaism to Christianity, from looking for the Messiah and his arrival, his being murdered, and his, being, uh, his rising again, and keeping Judaism out of Christianity was very difficult. Uh, I mean, physically, they were violent over these things. They would try to kill Paul on several occasions. Uh, Not only just the the Jews who practiced Judaism, but the Judaizers who tried to mingle Christianity and Judaism, thereby reducing Christianity to a sect. As a matter of fact, when uh, up in Antioch, they came from James, as Paul later said, to spy out our liberty, Peter and Barnabas succumbed to this to the Judaizers, to their influence. And their influence was this. If you want to benefit from the cross of Christ, you've got to become a Jew. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to practice the Sabbath. You've got to go down to the temple. And Paul stood up against all that. And when Peter and Barnabas were giving in to them, and Paul stood, I've said this several times before, Christianity would have died that day had Paul not stood up to his beloved friends, Peter and Barnabas, and set them straight. And not yield, as Paul said, for an, we didn't yield for an hour, which means we didn't yield for a moment. We didn't give in. This is Christianity. We know what we believe. We believe what we know. And we're not apologizing for it. We would love you to join it, but we're not joining you. And to this day, that is our message. And if you want to go out there and share your faith with somebody of another religion and you think that you can sort of mix them together, you've abandoned Christianity because it is intolerant of any other Savior or any other God or any idea about our God that does not come from Scripture. And so the Reformers, many of them who gave their lives to say, Scripture alone is our authority for what our spiritual beliefs and our our behavior before God. Scripture alone. And hopefully, you and I are upholding these things because they are true. We look at the book of Genesis and it tells us a story of how mankind came to be and how man established a relationship with God or refused, as the case might be. Well, Acts tells a story of how the church came to be and how the Gentiles were brought into this relationship with the God of Abraham and the God of Moses and the God of, of, of Jeremiah and Isaiah and all of, of the Old Testament heroes. Acts tells a story of how the church came to be and how it is to remain, and how the church is different, distinct, as I mentioned, from Judaism and paganism and heathenism and anything else that is out there. It tells the story of its relationship with the Holy Spirit as promised by God through Jesus Christ. We haven't even started on the verses yet. It's just an overview from what's in there. And after all these years of being a Christian, I still get excited over the book of Acts. Uh, to, to, to preach it as an added, added benef- benefit. Uh, this uh, church, the church had Messiah and has Messiah. We call him the Christ. It's a Greek translation of the Jewish word Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, we have him. The synagogues of Paul's day did not. The synagogues today do not. They do not have the Messiah. They have missed him. We have him. And it's the, the, the beliefs are irreconcilable. Though we've come out of Judaism's Old Testament, our beliefs are irreconcilable. 
Unless they accept Messiah, uh, they don't have it. Uh, Judaism, as I mentioned, demands circumcision and Sabbath keeping to receive salvation and other things. The Gentiles just would not have received that. It would have been a stumbling block for them. And God pointed this out to Paul. And Paul wrote documents. He documented this in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews. He was fierce in his presentation. That's this transitional age that Luke is, is, is also part of. He was there with much, through much of what Paul went through. And the first, the first Christians, they realized this. And they began to listen and trust God. Uh, maybe when you started out being a Christian, you, you were trusting God. But as the years have rolled by and you've taken so many hits and hurts, that trust is not so hot anymore. I encourage you, go get wood and put it on whatever fire you've got left and stoke that fire. And don't give in to your flesh that wants to come up with an excuse to have your faith die down because it's a lie. And your flesh will accommodate it. Uh, I, I fight this like you do. Uh, I have my moods too. And I try to get it so where I'm always in the mood to have the right mood. And it takes a lot of work. Sometimes I pull it off pretty good. Anyway, uh, uh, back to wherever it was that I was at uh, in this uh, trusting God. The birth of the church. It merged Jews and Gentiles together so thoroughly. So thoroughly were Jews and Gentiles merged together that you're not supposed to tell them apart. Humans may have, you know, lost souls may have this distinction of Jew and Gentile. To the Christian, there's no longer Jew nor Gentile. Why is that such a hard concept for some people in Christendom? Uh, this is the, the work that uh, Satan detests. He hates these distinctions. Uh, he, uh, he wants this division in the church that there are class A Christians and class B Christians. He, he wants to do little dirty work like that. And we're supposed to be a step ahead, ahead of him. The Christians, they looked at the assembly of the, the synagogues, how they assembled, and they borrowed some of that. Then they refined it and they reformed it into how we uh, assemble to this day in the church. All the while keeping themselves Separate, which is what the word saint means. The saint, the word means you're separated from the world and from the judgment to come through Christ. Christianity is not merely a true religion. It is a true religion. But it is also a system of life and a system of action. And that's what we're getting out of this book. And we get it uh, out of our Bibles. The first Christians, they made converts from Judaism, from paganism, from heathenism, and from idolatry. And they just did it by being a witness of Christ with an inflexible message and a determined mission. So when we read this out of Jeremiah, we say, wow, we like that. Well, the New Testament church did it. Here it is. Thus says Yahweh, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah says, get back to the basics of your faith. The faith of your fathers. They weren't kooky. You didn't do, you're not doing better than your fathers. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, have, they, they understood God. Don't come along acting like, well, that religion is dead. We've got this new stuff. No, you're dead. And what did they say to Jeremiah? We don't want to hear it. That's what goes on to say in Jeremiah 6.16, the, the age that he ministered in. Well, we face the same thing. 
flexible methods of assembly. You know, one church can do, you know, more songs than another church. You've got that right. But inflexible with with the message. The methods may alter a little bit, but not the truth. Uh, Those early Christians, the first Christians, they had to fight for everything. Satan would not take the church lying down. When the day of Pentecost comes as exciting as it's going to be, Satan didn't go, okay, I just better stop now. They've got the Holy Spirit. No, he just adjusted his battle plan. And he's done a very good job. But it doesn't mean he has to do a good job. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Well, that didn't stop when Christ ascended. That, that, that characterizes the ministry of Christianity until he returns. In fact, when he returns, it's with a sword. The sword of judgment. Another thing about this book of Acts that is very exciting and I think important to embrace, the application of this book is only for believers. The message is for the world, but the application is really about believers. And uh, this is what we find in Mark chapter 16, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. We find them doing that. But then look at verse 1. The former account I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. This is coming for believers. He'll develop it. We're going to depart from that for a moment. But Luke, having set in order a biography of Jesus Christ, the gospel according to Luke, uh, he writes again in verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things, from the very first to write to you an orderly account Most excellent Theophilus. Well, the former account, as I mentioned, Luke. But he says, I may, uh, oh, 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 excellent Theophilus. Here in Acts 1, he says, oh, Theophilus. In Luke, he addressed him as most excellent. Well, that was a formal official term. A Roman official received that title, most excellent. So Theophilus was likely an individual who had a high position in government, was a man of some means, and he knew Luke. Perhaps Luke was his physician. We could have a lot of conjecture there. The point is, he writes him now, and he uses that personal pronoun, I, where he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus. This is indicating a warmer relationship because he's dropped the title most excellent and he just says oh theophilus there's a term of endearment in that oh theophilus there's a nearness there's a warmness there's a friendship what has changed well theophilus got the the book of luke well as we know it that's who it was addressed to that's why i just read again luke 1 verse 3 where he says i put an orderly account together for you most excellent theophilus and now he writes a second account the former account i made luke's gospel o theophilus theophilus has become a believer he's not caught up on i am most excellent he's humbled now we don't know what transactions occurred between the two in between the writing of luke and the writing of this book of acts But there must have been some, because there's a change in the tone. Why doesn't he still call him most excellent Theophilus? Again, that would account for it. 
He says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, Luke put a lot of work into the Gospel of Luke, and he put a lot of work into the book of Acts. And he's getting this word out. He's getting it to this man, because it is what Jesus began to do. Acts is the story of beginnings. Everything in Acts is the beginning of for the church, and the continuation of, too. Nothing is finished. It's an ongoing story for us. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12, when I mentioned about the fire in the heart of the believer, this was the rule for the tabernacle of the Jews in the wilderness. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offerings in order on it. The fire is not to go out. It is it paralleled by the heart of the believer. The fire in our heart for truth, for God, for serving him, it's not supposed to go out. We're supposed to chop the wood and haul it. We're supposed to maintain the fire. He'll do his part. God will. But we have our part too. There is this unfinished work of proclaiming the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of salvation. It's finished. It's done. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, we are to continue proclaiming these things. Matthew 28, again, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We notice in verse 1 that the doing comes before teaching. There are some that are just so eager to teach, but they're not doing. And one of the things they're not doing is waiting for the Lord to put them in a position of teaching. That is a a divine prerogative. What Jesus began, of course, was teaching us about God, about love, about grace, about truth, about judgment, doctrine. It sums up what he began. There's more. There are the details. And they're very, they're important details. They're not insignificant at all. He practiced, Jesus did, what he preached. The best preacher, the best pastor, preaches better than they practice. No, uh, no, no pastor can live up to the standard of Scripture. No Christian can. But it's the pursuit of that standard that knocks hell down. It's just chasing righteousness that makes the difference. It makes all the difference. Go to a place where it's not practice. Go to a place where Christianity is not allowed. You don't see the pursuit of Christianity in North Korea, do you? And many other places. And so it does matter. Don't be discouraged because you you can't see. No, No soldier on the battlefield sees the whole battle. That's for the generals. He sees what's right in front of him. And his, his position can be totally wiped out and they still win. Uh, don't be knocked out of the fight because it seems like uh, you're not getting anywhere. Keep moving forward. That alone uh, will just, <clears throat> it beckons the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life. Christ practicing what he taught and what Jesus did and taught did not end with the departure of Christ to his Father. When he ascends to heaven, is left. that's it. You guys are on your own. I gave you some rules now, just go do them. That's exactly what did not happen. And Acts is telling this story. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has, has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Now, the thought is, okay, I'm going to receive this power so I can get a new car, so I can get... And, of course, that's the prosperity teaches, which isn't very prosperous at all. It's quite the opposite. This power is not to show off, oh, look at me, I can speak in tongues, you can't, uh, as some will like to do. This is power to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's the power I want. Would you rather lead 10 people to heaven or show 10 people you can speak in tongues? It's a very simple thing. Uh, I'd rather, I mean, this is, uh, you know, there's much joy in heaven when one sinner repents and converts. Not when one Christian starts, you know, demonstrating he's got some power. The power that I want is the power over my flesh. The power that I want is to be like Christ. The power I want is that the Holy Spirit will be comfortable with using me. We read of God coming to visit Abraham. We don't read of him coming to visit Lot. Rescuing Lot, yes. Dining with Lot, no. I want the Lord to be comfortable in my heart. And so, uh, some verse 2 now. Oh, look at that. We made it. We're only getting up to verse 3. Um, <clears throat> he says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen. That phrase, uh, taken up, there at the beginning, until the day in which he was taken up. It occurs four times in this chapter. Three of them are the identical Greek word. All four mean the same thing. The emphasis is on the miraculous, that Jesus was alive and that he was miraculously taken to heaven as though he was God, because he is. That's why. It was a demonstration, a further demonstration of his deity, thus the, the, the many infallible proofs. I mean, they were just getting one demonstration after another until their heads were spinning. The direct teaching of Christ ended uh, with his ascension from the Mount of Olives to heaven, visibly before his apostles. But the Holy Spirit would soon be available to continue what Jesus began to do. This was his plan, so that when Jesus went to the Father, the work continued. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 8. And when he, notice the personal pronoun, the Holy Spirit is not a it, he is a person. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. How is he going to do that? Through the church, through the believers. Don't, don't, get, don't, don't do that, well, the church is anywhere. Yeah, there's the universal church, and it is a wonderful thing, but there is the local church, and it is just as wonderful and just as powerful, and it is exactly what Paul had in mind in Acts chapter 20 when he talks about savage wolves coming into the church, not sparing the flock, the church that God bought with his blood. So when they start that backpedaling on the assembly, they're actually helping the devil because Christ ordained both. The universal church so that I can go uh, to, to take a flight and I sit next to somebody from another country who's a born-again believer and it's like we've always known each other when we start talking about Jesus Christ. We've never met before. We've never been in the same church. We'll probably never see each other here again. 
And then there is the local assembly. That's where the blood and guts are. Because, see, when I get off that plane with that believer, I don't have to put up with him anymore. And he doesn't have to put up with me. But when we go back to the church, now we have people who have meltdowns, who've got this problem, who've got that problem, but they still love the Lord. Giving you a chance to exercise grace. A chance that I don't really look forward to sometimes. I'd rather show kindness to the unbeliever than show it to my fellow believer, because that nitwit should know better. Did that sound aggressive? (laughs) Anyway, the Holy Spirit, he said, would convict the world of sin. Of sin because they do not believe in me. That's where we come in to point this out to the world. Your sins are on you. You're guilty before Christ because you don't believe him. Me, on the other hand, I believe him. I may be just as goofy as you sometimes, but at least I'm forgiven. Because I know who the Lord is, who the King is, who my Maker is. He says of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. The Holy Spirit is picking up the work of Christ. Because Christ has gone to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit has been given of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The book of Revelation details much of this, not only the book of Revelation. He says here in verse 2, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. Now, there's a double truth here. He gave commandments to the apostles during his earthly ministry until he ascended. He continued to give commandments to his apostles in their earthly ministry through the Holy Spirit, and that's how we got the New Testament. If Christ weren't ministering to his apostles, we wouldn't have a New Testament. How could they write inspired words if they weren't inspired? Who was doing the inspiring? When Paul says all scripture is God-breathed, that's because Christ gave the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus began, the Holy Spirit continued through his servants. This was God's plan. It is still in effect. And the first Christians knew it. It was their foundation. Uh, This is how we receive the New Testament through the apostles. It's how we receive the Old Testament through the prophets. Ephesians chapter 2, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that would be old and new, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You, You can't get the Old Testament prophets out of the New Testament. Jesus, I didn't come to destroy the Lord, but the law, but to fulfill it. And the the fulfillment requires that we recognize that God spoke through uh, men before the coming of the Holy Spirit. But this is all different now. Now men need the power, not of the Spirit to come upon them at special times, like uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. But we need Christ all the time to be able to witness that he is the one that the prophets spoke of. This is a whole nother level of interaction. As Jesus promised it would happen after he ascended. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 26 of John 14. The helper, that is the paraclete in the Greek. The one who comes alongside to comfort and to help. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Otherwise, how do we have the gospel? And there, 
the Holy Spirit. He is the substitute presence on earth for the bodily presence of Jesus Christ. This is uh, what is the distinction that we must never give up. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, we're speaking of God. God the Holy Spirit. He's not God. He's not the Holy Spirit an angel. He is equal in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not to be an optional extra. Okay, you know, I like the doctrine. I want to talk all about, you know, uh, you know, salvation and end time story. But I really don't need the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm, I'm good. But you don't understand the Holy Spirit. If, if that's your response, that's actually kind of spooky. Again, another quote, this one from A.W. Tozier. If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what the church is doing would go right on and nobody would know the difference. <laughs> because who, listen, I have a good idea. Yeah, but is it God's idea? It's a good idea. We don't have to pray about this. It's a good idea. Well, that's what Tozer's talking about, and that's what Christ is talking about. As many as are the children of God, these are led by the Spirit of God. I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, in this church, we, we feel led to do something. We, we, we go about it to see if the Lord is in it. Sometimes we have to start it to find out he's not in that, and we stop it right away. Sometimes we find out he was in that. Good job. Good job. <laughs> you got one. John 16, verse 16. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. That sounds like it doesn't make any sense. You, you will see me, then you won't see me. But you will see me because I go to the Father. Well, in the first part of that verse, Jesus talked about literally seeing him. In the second part, he talks about Seeing him with spiritual eyes. And that is that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the two, or the three we should say, are inseparable. Almost done. Uh, he says here in verse 2, whom he, has, whom he had chosen. Um, that is the 11 apostles, of course. Matthias... We'll get to that, an indirect choice. The apostles ended up putting God in a spot. They had a good idea. Peter even had scripture. I know I'm getting ahead of it, but I like to do this sometimes, and this is one of them. A lot of commentators believe, you know, Matthias was an apostle of Jesus Christ. My position is he was an apostle of the apostles. But what's Christ going to do? Badmouth Matthias? He was a good man. He was certainly worthy. He just wasn't the choice. Uh, but they put him, the Lord, you know, hey, we've got to find a replacement for Judas because the Bible says let another take his office. Let's vote on it. And they cast lots. Well, that was the beginning of, you know, the clue that, you know, this is not New Testament. They didn't wait for Pentecost. They, you know, Peter taking the lead. It was good things and bad things about it. The bottom line is God then said, okay, Paul is my 13th choice of an apostle. You had the 12. Judas, of course, forfeited his position, and God picked Paul. Uh, that's, you, need, you know, just fun. We'll get to that in one of these before 2022, I'm sure. Verse 3, to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus showed himself to his apostles uh, after, of course, the, the crucifixion. And just a reminder, we need no, we do not need to sensationalize our faith. It's like painting gold. It's, you ruin it. Just let it be the faith that it is. It is sensational enough. It will, what is the role? What is my, it is to save souls, to reach the lost and to be fit to be used to reach the lost. I don't, we sing a song, pass me not, O gentle Savior, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Why would he pass us by? Well, maybe because he's doing a work in us or maybe because we've messed things up so much he can't use us. And this is going to take you thinking it through a little bit. Don't be afraid to think as a Christian. If you're leading, leading with your feelings, you're leading with your jaw. You know what that means? You're boxing. Like, stick your jaw out and you know, see what happens to you. Uh, anyway, it would be a lullaby song. Uh, these, to whom he presented himself alive after his sufferings throughout the apostles' ministry, they never lost sight of his sufferings. They made sure that we understand that. The cross speaks of his sufferings. Now, suffering does not always come directly from one's sin. All sin produces suffering. Uh, we gather before a living Christ. Uh, he is not 2,000 years ago. He's here right now. And if uh, Jesus were not here today... There would be no Christian faith. This is not the case with Buddhism. It is not the case with Islam and all the other religions. You don't have to have a personal relationship with Buddha to be a Buddhist. You don't have to have a personal relationship with Muhammad to be a Muslim. You, they have their belief system. And ours, we have ours. And ours says you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must be born again. And... Uh, uh, those others, they're dead, they're gone, and they are judged. Jesus is alive, and he is the judge. And these are distinctives that we must, again, never cave to. If, if people don't like it, that's them. Uh, I, don't need, I don't need to ask you, uh, do I like vanilla ice cream? I know what I like, and I know what I believe. And I don't need someone to say, yes, you like vanilla ice cream, to like it. Um. I have a list of you who like okra, incidentally, just, just saying. <laughs> so funny why people will food fight and very quickly. Anyway, but many infallible proofs demonstrated by acts of bravery throughout the book of Acts. Uh, just, uh, you know, those apostles, they could have walked away from danger. Almost every one of them was martyred to death. To be a martyr, you, you can survive being a martyr. You can just suffer, be tortured, or you can uh, perish. And uh, what we understand mostly from church history and some from Scripture is that uh, they were all m murdered, the exception of, of John, it seems. The, all of them could have simply said, I did not see the risen Christ. People may die for a lie, but they don't believe it's a lie. They die for a cause, a system of beliefs. 
The world can die for a cause or a country or for their comrades. Many troops have died for their comrades, not believing the war they're fighting, but this camaraderie they have. Well, these disciples, they didn't die saying, well, we didn't see him rise, but we're going to stick to our point. (laughs) They would have been offended at Christ for putting them in a situation where their life was on the line or, or torture was... They were presented with torture unless he did rise. One of the greatest proofs for our faith is the foundation of the apostles suffering for a Messiah that they had witnessed alive again. Peter talked about it. We did not follow cunningly devised fables in Second Peter chapter 1. John said we handled him, we saw him, we were with him in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1. 2 Peter 1 and 1 John 1. And being seen by them during 40 days, no less than 10 and maybe more uh, appearances of Christ, um, there was only one non-believer that saw the risen Lord that we know about, and that was Paul. Uh, Paul was a non-believer when he first met Christ. And speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, not speaking of things concerning Caesar, social ills, or other things. The kingdom of God, it exists independent of man's surrender. The kingdom of God will be there no matter what people do. It needs no atheist or agnostic or activist or court or scientist to approve it. It is there. And they all will find out. Hopefully, uh, they'll be saved before they do. His kingdom is the only government that will ever succeed. And the kingdom's laws are beautiful to its citizens in its final state. The king's judgments are binding on those whom he judges. And we're not left here to enrich the world system. We're here to proclaim truth to people in the world, and we're here to build each other up so that we can continue to preach the truth to the world. And we have a responsibility to uphold the church, the body of Christ, the church that upholds the truth of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, it is remarkable, not only that these events took place, but that you've preserved them. And we are very grateful that you have made it possible for anyone to come to you. Just come by faith. If you are here this morning and you've been listening, and as you've been listening, you have sensed God speaking to you, but you've never opened your heart to Christ to become a believer, you have a chance to do that right now. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you and you alone because you only are worthy. You only died for me and rose again to demonstrate your power. I ask you to forgive me and to be my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not back away from it. May they make their confession known when given the invitation. In Jesus' name we ask you, amen.